I never hated the enemy. I never hated the enemy. Hate what they do. Hate their cause. I didn't hate those men. Yeah. Those men were freaking bad ass. I mean, they're running <laughs> they're in sandals and freaking shower shoes. They used to put them down plastic shower shoes in the winter time. It's nuts. They're fighting in cro- literally in Crocs, open toe Crocs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're, and they're 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 hanging. I mean, the ratio of us killing them to, to uh, them killing us is is staggering. But but they're still there. They're still doing it. They're still. I mean, you gotta admire that tenacity. Battle Line Podcast. We have a great episode that you guys are gonna love uh, with Lieutenant Colonel Brian Slade, Army Apache pilot, awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. Man, I we were, we just recorded. I loved doing this interview. Thought it was great. No, he was tremendous. The, the leadership. Uh, I was telling Ian uh, offline or off stuff here where we weren't recording. The leadership principles and techniques that he used is the same that I use when I do my speaking events. And, and to me, that just adds validation. But also, it, it also shows that the military does know how to still how to build leaders. And not for even for me, just say guys like Brian that I, I look up to, Lieutenant Colonel, obviously he's a great leader, done, been through a lot of shit in the helicopter, which you'll hear about. He, his leadership leadership style is very similar to what mine was and is. And and I, I think it works. I think it's a great, great style because it can be applied not just to the military, but just to everyday life in general. Matty Waters is another one. I think it applies a lot to what Matty, if you ever listen to that, that episode with Ranger Waters, it tell you the same thing. Trauma is trauma is trauma. doesn't have to be war to be able to handle trauma and learn from it. It's just everyday trauma. And, and that is important, being able to overcome it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the episode was fantastic. And Brian was Brian's awesome. Great guy. Yeah. And he, and he did rightfully deserved that distinguished, uh, distinguished flying cross that he got. Yeah, I'm excited for you guys to hear it. But before we uh, get into it, I'm wearing my Bubs Naturals shirt right now. Love the people at Bubs Naturals. Uh, Sean Lake, love everything they do. BubsNaturals.com. I got to tell you, man, the uh, the collagen protein, every few months I get, uh, it's a problematic area for me. I'll have issues with my neck, issues with my upper back. As I, as I said, actually, in the last podcast, like truthfully, there's no magic bullet. There's a few things you have to do. I know for me, with my personal training background, like I'll do some of the, the rows, I'll do some of the lat pull downs with lighter weight. That helps me out. But another thing that's helped me out is really getting that collagen back in my body. And within less than a week, I'm pretty much back in action. I, I Collagen protein has really done that for me. And Bub's Naturals, I know I'm getting great collagen because of the fact that it's it's raw, Grass-fed cowhide, uh, single source, no blending. They're just the best at what they do. It, and it, it has definitely helped me on my recovery from my quadricep tendon tear. Uh, yesterday, I ran three miles. I, I oh, jogged. Yeah. I don't. I don't run. I jogged. Now <laughs> I still got to get that gait. But then I, we, you know, we have a Peloton bike, and I jumped on the bike and rode for ten miles. Uh, ten miles on the bike, and then doing wow. single leg squats is best. And I'm back. It, it's helped me. Definitely helped help me with my recovery, along with the MCT oil that I take, which has also helped me, you know, keep my gut in line with all the medication that I had to take prior to, uh, after I got the surgery, which can really screw my gut up having Crohn's disease. So that MCTL is tremendous as well. Guys, it's the best collagen protein out there, best supplements out there, in my opinion, especially those that promote rebuilding your muscle, uh, your tendons, your muscles, your joints, but also I would say gut health as well with the MCTL, tremendous stuff. And of course, everything helps 
every sale helps Glendora Memorial Foundation, my old teammate, Bob, get people into college, whether it's special operation guys or their children. And you can go more on and check that out on Bob's website and the Glendora Memorial Foundation, which does promote Bob's as well. And you can see the good things that they do uh, helping people go to school, get scholarships in the name of Glenn Doherty, uh, Bub, my teammate. Yeah, well said, man. Um, and then they also have the uh, the Bub's Brew. They have the Hydrator yeah. Die, which is the greatest name. It reminds me yeah. of Voter Die. Or do you remember uh, Stormtroopers of Death, S.O.D. by any yeah, chance? Yeah. They had that album. Yeah. Or the song Speak English or Die. It makes you think of that. So <laughs> Hydrator Die. Yeah, check that out, guys. Bubsnaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE and you get 20% off. And you can find it everywhere, but you'll get the best deal through us when you go to bubsnaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE and support us. And speaking of supporting us, we do still have the website up for limited edition merchandise, and hopefully we'll add more to that. It's uh, it's just battlelinepodcast.etsy.com. That's the Battleline Podcast vault. Uh, with that, let's get right into it. This is Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Slade right here on Battleline Podcast. From Kansas City to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Mother, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on, Battleline Podcast. Really excited to have Lieutenant Colonel Brian Slade on. We've been meaning to do this for a while. So yeah. Brian is an Air Force Apache pilot, awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross, author of Cleared Hot. We'll get into the book and everything. But uh, yeah, this is like a few months in the making, and I'm glad that we're finally doing it, Brian. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I do have to correct, not Air Force Apache pilot, Army Apache pilot, but now I'm in the Air Force. <laughs> oh, so you went from Army Apache pilot to yeah, Air Force. Okay, so I'm mixing things up. I'm going to read yeah, it. I, 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 I was like, Air Force has Apaches now? That's uh, pretty big like, and I awesome, know that Anybody listening that knows is going to be like, what? Yeah, no. Uh, no, but you, uh, you told uh, me that you're now, you're you're currently active duty in the Air Force, but about to retire. Yeah, I currently fly combat search and rescue for the Air Force. And yeah, I'm oh, in that cool. I'm in that pasture phase where I'm just kind of like, you know, about to be. So, so are you still hey, hey, you still flying, brother? Or what and what are what are they what are they using now for the CSAR missions uh in the Air Force side of the house? What are they flying? What are you flying the guys in with? Yeah, so it's the it's the Air Force's version of the Black Hawk, the Pave Hawk, but we did Pave just Hawk. get yeah, we did just get the upgraded models, the whiskey. Um wow. Yeah, I was actually initial cadre for that. Went to Florida to be to learn, you know, learn it first. Oh yeah, that that sucks. I mean, go fly helicopters in Florida. I mean, just being yeah. in Florida is just awful. Well, now you got to fly helicopters. That's it. <laughs> that's. Yeah, awesome. I raised my hand. They're like, "Hey, who wants to go? <laughs> I'll, I'll go. 
I'll go. <laughs> so, you know, it's the first thing I wanted to ask you. Um, I mean, of course, we'll get in your background and all that. And, and my mistake on that, we'll get into basically transferring from the Army to the Air Force. But the reason that we have you on, I mean, other than your story, of course, is that you go way back with a with a great friend of Tonto, served with him in the Rangers, and that's Ben Morgan. And you were yeah. telling me some interesting stuff about Ben Morgan uh, wanting to fly Apaches that I never knew about. And I don't know yeah. if Chris knew all of that. Yeah, 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 I, I did. I, I did. But yeah, go, go ahead. Bro. I just I know Ben was trying to when he was becoming an officer when we were at 19 Special Forces. That was what he was trying to get to. And then, yeah, I don't know the whole story either. So, yeah, spill the beans on Ben, man. Yeah, tell no, tell ben, me about it. So, I was in Ben's flight school class. That's how we know each other. So, Ben, as you know, was infantry and ranger and all yeah. that. And then he then he decided he wanted to fly. And so, he was in the in the aviation course. I don't know if he wanted to fly Apaches or not, but he was definitely uh, going, you know, the, the pilot route. And he was doing just fine. You know, like, there's guys that were struggling and, you know, whatever. And they're like, and some guys didn't make it, you know, because there's a, you know, there's a, like any, any good military course, you're going to filter out some people. Right. Sure. Sure. So, sure. so he was doing just fine, punctured through. And Ben was one of the guys I liked to, to hang around. Cause he was just real, you know, like there wasn't like anything <laughs> fake about Ben. Like he just said what he, what he's thinking. And True. It, it, it was, you know, it was very colorful usually, but it was very, <laughs> very clear. You knew exactly where he stood. Well, one day he just said, you know, you know what? This isn't for me. I, I'm I'm an infantry guy. I'm a ranger. And that's what I want to do. And uh, and so he decided to opt out of, of flight school. And was he have a, he, he, I know he mentioned something that he was having issues with his ear. I mean, because ben, ben and I have been very close since high school. He did. Um, have I don't that. know if you've known that. But yeah, but he, he did mention, yeah, my ears, I'm having problems equalizing them or just a lot of pain. And he's broke as shit. So obviously, I knew something would break on him eventually over but was that an issue too? And do you guys no, have that? that I forgot time? about that. He did. Have, I forgot. You're right, though. He did. Yeah, he he was dealing with that too. I honestly, and now you know, I'm not. I don't want to speak for him. I mean, it's obviously, but I, I just always got the feeling that he just loved being. He loved being the the the, the, the you know that ground pounder guy. He well, loved, he, 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 well, yeah. I mean, Rangers. That's that's kind of what what we what we are. We jump and do all that other stuff, but our main stuff we don't. Most I'll be I and I don't Brian, you may know this just from working around special operations guys and red guys that most of us rangers, we don't like to be in planes, man. I want to get the fuck out of that thing. I don't like flying. I, I mean I'd rather be in a helicopter, I'll be honest with you. But even then, I want to fat the fun thing is not just fly, it's fast roping or jumping off that thing at six six to ten feet with a freaking ruck breaking your back and watching <laughs> you guys door gunners just flying, you guys bank it and but yeah, we we don't really like to fly. <laughs> I mean, there's some that do go to TF and go to uh go to the 160th that, that they because of that lineage and the tie-in that guys want to go that route. But yeah, yeah, Ben. But yeah, I, I do remember Ben having that. And I just my question was, does that happen? And I would assume it does. Does that happen often? Where ear yeah guys are going through flight school, they're going through the indoc, the vetting phase, where they I mean just ear having problems equalizing and. and what is it? What is that? How painful is it? Like when you go too far deep in the water and you're down and everything starts to build up pressure in your head and, and, and you can't, you can't blow that pressure. Like when your ears pop, like when you're flying in, is that what that is? Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. I don't know how common it is. I, I, most guys can, can equal what's really common, fairly common is, is people that can't take because of ear problems or, or whatever they can't, they get nauseous, right? There's a lot of ah, air, okay. air yeah. I don't remember him having that, but I do now that I forgot all about it until you, 
said it, but I remember he was he he was cussing about his ears quite a bit. So, well, yeah. he 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 said that, and then he went back to doing extra stuff, and his feet broke. So he was pretty much screwed either way. He couldn't do he couldn't stand or or nothing. He so Ben Ben's just broke. But we're not we're not here to discuss Ben. We're here to talk about you, man. Uh, we talk enough about Ben. Ben's on the show enough. But <laughs> you know you, you're 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 you know I, I always like to get in this with military military personnel especially ones that have gone to the tier that you have and, and do high level stuff my thing is always especially in today's day and age when you see now drag queens being part of being part of the recruiting <laughs> process we want to shy away from that and try to get into okay this is what it's really like this is why guys went in this is what we you know what 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 they're looking for when they get in there and, and they they sign up so my thing is just from the beginning man what made you want to become a did you want to become a pilot or did you sign up not knowing what you want to do and it just went that route and, and why? Why did you go in? No, I got into the military because it was a good fit for me. I, I was always patriotic, um, but that wasn't enough to make me gen, jump into the military because sure. I hadn't really thought about it. I just didn't really think about, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so, oh, wow. yeah, I, yeah, until they said, hey, you got to go to like 10 years of school and you get paid the same as you know something <laughs> I was like well that doesn't sound fun so then I got like well I'll do finance you know but then I'm I'm one of eight kids the oldest of eight kids and my dad was a teacher so there was no money going to be paying for school sure. for me right and so I had to kind of look I had a football scholarship I said it was going to cover some you know sure. but not not a full ride I wasn't that good you know and then uh, so I started looking around and, and uh, one of my friends was like, well, the military does the ROTC thing. And I was like, okay, so what can you do in the military? And then I start, then I, you know, I was like helicopters. I, that sounds awesome. And I was always kind of an adrenaline junkie a little bit. So I had the adrenaline side of me. I had the patriotism side of me and I had the broke student side of me, all those things <laughs> and said, you know, the military is for you. And, and then a, a recruiter is like, well, you know, if you enlist, you could do the simultaneous membership program. Yeah. So yep. I, I was like, well, then I'll do that. That makes sense. Finance. So I enlisted. It was actually a diesel mechanic uh, in the in the military for oh, wow. as a reservist. My plan was to go to school and then do ROTC. Well, what happened is I ended up going on a church mission for two years after that. Came right. back. ROTC was gone. So now I'm just doing the enlisted track. Made it to E5. And then the ROTC came back finished that process up and then got into aviation. So, you know, it took a little detour there, but I ended up finally where I wanted to be. That's, that's a long route. Yeah. The SMP program, that, that's not a bad deal. I did that for green to gold for a year to get my commission. And, you know, you get paid, you're basically, you're getting paid to, to attend school more or less. It, it, it was awesome. Going. I mean, all my time in school counts towards my retirement, yeah. you know, and, even guys that go to West Point don't get that. So, yeah. And that's, it's a hidden gem. So for all you out there looking to become officers, especially if you're enlisted, if you want to go green to gold or ROTC, look at SMP, Simultaneous Membership Program. I did the same thing. And it was, I didn't even know it was there until some, somebody recruited, hey, why don't you do this? You mean I get paid while I go to school? Yeah, thank you. And they're paying for my school? Hey, yeah. Why is that your double thing? And from the, you know, the enlisted side. So go ahead. I didn't eat macaroni and cheese in college. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, becoming an officer, going through ROTC, that's uh, and becoming an aviation officer. It's extremely competitive going through ROTC. Infantry and aviation 
Those are the two. Are, how? Yeah. So you must have done well. I, you know, I, I guess your experience there at ROTC, and and I said you must have excelled because there's that is I remember getting infantry and aviation. My colonel would always remind us, "Oh, you got to excel, Chris. You, I know you're a ranger because I was a ranger before I went green to go. I yeah. actually was this. He said, "Oh, you still got to score this. I had to become an infantry." I'm like, I got my tab. I still got to be up here, and it, it was good though. I, I do like the military, and the military, at least at that time, was still. There's no individualism unless you excel. You have to excel to be individualized. Now the military is straight up. You can be an in, just be individual right off the bat. No, no, no. We got to break everybody down, but. You obviously excelled. Was it excelling PT, excelling physically, uh, like physical training, mentally, both? You know, and are there any recommendations as you were going through RTC, or is it just hard work? You know, just bust your ass, hard work. Like that was me. That's what I just tell that. Nothing special. Just you just got to bust your ass. Luckily for me, the Army weighted physical fitness and leadership ability higher than like you know your GPA. Yeah. <laughs> So, so like, uh, I was, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm old and fat now, but back then I was, I could do, you know, I could run forever and I could do all the, you know, the physical, I, I think I was like a 386 on the extended scale of the PT. Test, yeah, it's right? awesome. Awesome. So those things weighted a lot in, in your ranking in your OML, order of merit list. Yep. And, and then, the, and then we did the, man, what do you call those little sticks courses where you, you know, the sticks. Yep. Yeah, six courses. We did those things, and I always did really well in those as well. So those two things really put me. My GPA wasn't wasn't bad, but in it was like three five or something like that. But in the in the Air Force, if you're not a four zero, you're not you're not in that because I ranked twenty first in the nation outside of outside of West Point, right? So outside of West Point, twenty first. But it, and I'm like, how can I be that? high with a three five because the military the way they weighted their stuff would benefited my skill sets right whereas if they if I'm, i had the air force i'd probably be in the middle third you know because i, I didn't have that 4.0 but physical prowess and a blunt instrument and willingness to slam my head through things and you know <laughs> the, army, the army rewards that stuff <laughs> so. there still is a place for that i i i, I think that's being well-rounded, I even tell my son, you know, don't be the greatest at one thing. Just be really good at everything. Yeah. And three five, I, I was saying, I three five PT was score was high, and 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 then your problem solving skills, which I know they're always looking at. I don't know what they call it. Do they still call it phase three when you go through Fort Lewis, or they moved it to Fort Knox? That that last phase of, where you go through that field phase of training at ROTC. But I I think I that was always weighted high to me. They called it. I think they called it. Uh, advanced leadership training. Advanced think. leadership. So was your still at Fort Lewis or was it at Fort Lewis? I think they Lewis, yeah. That was the whole whole time. Uh, that, that was, that was uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was tough, but it was still something that was a little stressful because they, they did weight that pretty dang high. I remember. I remember the ranking structures at the at the end of it. But, well, and, and Ian, you know, you know me, brother. Cut me off whenever you want. You got a question. No, these are these are great stories. I feel like because also yeah. you you kind of know the background, so I I love hearing this. Well, it's and it's it is it's, it's ROTC and and it it's a diamond in a rough. It can be very easy as because you got college and you but there are things that you have to excel at, and that's what I was the same way. Like man, the ranking structure. You don't realize how much competition there is till you're in that because you're finished 21st. People don't realize you were 21st 
that's out for thousands and thousands of people. So that's pretty damn good, <laughs> man. That's so yeah, I thought they made an error. I think maybe they did, but I didn't try to correct it. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah let it go. Hey, okay, I'll take it, you know. <laughs> well, well, you got in and um now did you you did get aviation? What's the what's the process uh, as far as in your pipeline and what'd you go through? That's more stories, man. We we love hearing war stories and training stories. So just your just your time in, just going through, getting to aviation. If you have anything spectacular, or we like your Jack Ashry stories too. So if you got anything Jack Ashry, even if you're out drinking and you do something, we get that. We got Marines all the time. We get stories like that all the time. So yeah, th- yeah. What 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 was the process? What was it being a new guy and then then moving through training and and getting to where you are now? Well, the first thing that stood out to me when I went to aviation training is up until that point, like like I said, I I could pretty much beat most guys that I was in any kind of military thing. And now I all of a sudden I'm in a classroom full of these same guys, right? They're all, they're all that guy, right? So everybody is that guy that could be the top guy in the, in the group of, of whatever. So it was, it was, it was different for that, you know, cause all of a sudden I'm like, Oh man, everybody's got a 300 plus PT score here. Everybody's got, you know, it's so you, you don't stand out as much. And then, it, and then unlike, unlike the, what I'd said before, now you're in aviation where they stress the acad- academics, huge, gotcha. huge, right? And so now I'm like, oh, you know, brain, brain kid. I got to be a brain kid now. And, and I never, never was. The, I mean, I do, I do all right. But there were guys there that were all those things and the brain kid, right? So, so it, was, it was challenging for that. And then the biggest thing in that I think for me in flight school, and I don't know if Ben remembers, I can't remember what space he got out at, but I had precautionary landings like crazy in flight school like which is where something bad happens the helicopter and you need to put it down right and i had i think i had 12 or 13 they call me the pl king wow wow um, yeah, <laughs> in, in high school. so my first so you you go and you solo right with solos like i had like 12 hours in a helicopter and they're like okay now you just take the helicopter yourself which is <laughs> so you take it with you and your stick buddy my first so my first solo, we're getting, we do a couple patterns. I can barely, I can barely land the thing. I mean, it's like skip, boom, boom, you know, slamming on. But it has to be the ultimate, like, oh my, because I just think of like first day on a job where it's all right, you're in charge of thing. And like my job, my history has been radio, you know, like the worst thing that happens is the station goes off air and, and it is, it is high pressure, but you're not going to die. Like, no. I, I couldn't <laughs> imagine <working> that. <laughs> so I got a hydraulic failure, which is like. In these small helicopters, you can still fly them with a hydraulic filter. Not the big ones, but the small ones you can. But it's like a lot of resistance, and there's like all this fine movement to fly a helicopter to begin with. So now you got to have fine movement with a bunch of resistance. And we'd practiced it with our our because they'll turn it off with the instructor, and I could never control the thing when it was off. I was like, you know, and he's on the controls like for me. All of a sudden, I get it, and I'm. I'm like, there's nobody to grab the controls. I mean, there's, it's, this is, this is all me. So, so, you know, I, I called, you know, the, the tower and said, Hey, I need emergency landing straight to the apron. And they're like, why? I was like, it's emergency procedure. I'm like, okay. So they cleared me and I'm in drunken goose coming down, <laughs> doing the best I can. I mean, I'm sure it looked horrible, but, but I got it over there to about a four or five foot hover and I just slammed it into the ground. Boom. You know, door pops open. Because like there was a there was a good enough pressure putting that thing down, but I'm like, because a dynamic rollover is a thing. Like if you don't land that thing down square, if you land crooked, you, you'll flip the, you'll flip it on the ground, and then you know you chop everybody up. 
So I was I was Jeez. nervous about that. And so I got it close enough, leveled out, boom, stuck it down. The <laughs> my stick buddy that was with me, she's like, kind of hurt my back. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I'm like, hey, um, we're down safe. We're good. And then my instructor was a grade A asshole, just complete. Like the only reason I didn't ever like request an instructor change, because he I would give him such, I would give him crap. He's a civilian guy. So I didn't have to do the sir and all that stuff. And he was an asshole. Like, and he comes out there and he's, we called him boss hog stomping out there. Boom, boom, boom. Gets in there. What, what'd you do? Pussy. What'd you land? In? And I was like, I, I got hydraulic failure. He's like, Oh, bullshit. Like, and he picks the thing up, puts it right back down. Hydraulic failure. That's never happened. Right. And then, you know, shuts it, shuts it down. And uh, so then the next day I still had to go up again because I didn't finish my eight, my eight patterns. And then I get a high frequency vibration on the pedals, which means the tail rotor might be getting ready to leave the helicopter. And I'm like, seriously? Wow. You know, so I told my stick buddy, put your feet on the pedals. She puts, I was like, you feel that? She's like, maybe. I'm like, all right, we got to do it again. So we landed again. And he comes out, same thing, picks it up. Yep, high freak vibe, but it wasn't as big a deal. It, the air conditioning belt had come off and was laying on the tail on the drive shaft. And that's what I was feeling in the pedals. But but I diagnosed it right. You don't know until you land and check that out. But <clears throat> so from from an early stage on, I realized I needed to prepare my mind for emergencies. I needed to I needed to come up with a process because I'm not smart enough to have all this stuff ready at, at a thoughts process. It needed to be reactionary instead of instead of uh, you know a thought a, a deliberate process. And so that's a big part of what what made me live through a lot of the engagements that I talk about in the in the book as far as taking taking rounds from the enemy and, and delivering rounds and and losing engines and those, those kind of things it, it all started back in flight school it so started, it, 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 and I think a lot of it does it teaches us to be proactive or we war game we, we what if in our head Ben is I mean, we're talking about Ben is a, a actually I think he does it too much but he is always war gaming in his head for a possible scenario. So you're not reactionary. That's the, that's what the initiative is. I mean, in my, that's when the commander says that hey, we need to maintain the initiative, but we need to stay ahead of the game. So we're not reacting. We just do. And that's great that you heard that. And you, it's, that's awesome that you learned it right off the bat beginning and, and probably, you know, I, I and you just get into that. Let's keep going. Cause we want to talk about the book with the limited time that we have and some of the stuff you went through. Um, you know, learning there taught you yeah like you just said i have to be proactive i have to already know what to do before it even happens so i don't have to think about it so yeah continue brother continue on and and go through some of that where the early training and even some of the stuff you learned we learned yeah. on the fly and we just happened to come home we got lucky right but we learned from it so when it happened again we dealt with it better yeah yeah i actually talk about that in the book early on when i deployed i there was some luck there was quite a bit of luck that kept me alive but you learn from those experiences hopefully hopefully you learn from them and then the ratio of luck to skill kind of shifts in your favor you know and and once that happens then you're you're dictating your own outcome a lot more than just hoping the outcome is dictated positively for you right um my very first engagement was I was so when I went and deployed, I only had 300 hours uh, as a pilot. <laughs> so wow. it was low, low time guy, but I was next on the chopping block to be an aircraft commander and we were short aircraft commanders. So needs of the army, surprise, sure. you're going to be a low time aircraft commander. So they were upgrading me while I was downrange, but my first engagement with the Taliban 
was actually as a co-pilot in the front seat. And I had a very experienced guy in the back seat and I'm very grateful for it. And you'll find out why in a minute. Um, so as we roll around the corner, there's this cliff and it's probably a 300 foot cliff on each side. And there's a big, I would call it a canyon. It's valley, but it was basically a canyon um, in between these two. And, and there was a convoy that had taken an IED and they were basically being ambushed, um, nowhere to go off of that road. And we rolled in and they're like, we're taking fire from multiple possession, multiple poos, multiple uh, points of origin that, you know, we don't know exactly where we're just taking it. And I'm like, this is the first time I roll into a, an engagement and the, and the Taliban continued to shoot. Usually we roll in with the Apaches and they're like, oh, not today, you know, you know, but this time they're like still shooting. And I'm like, okay, good. We're going to be able to develop this situation. We'll be able to figure out. And now I realize it's really hard. It's really hard to figure out where these dudes are at. Like super hard based off. Was, of it, was it day? I you may have said day or night. It was daytime. So daytime. we couldn't muzzle you flashes. We could, I mean, you, you can in the day. It's just a lot harder, right? And I didn't, and I'd never seen them. So I didn't know what I was looking for. And so we're looking and we're trying to find it. We're trying to talk to the ground guys and say, can you get, you give us a, a you know, a, a closer bearing on where we where should, should be looking. And finally, my, my co-pilot, I mean, my, my co-pilot, my aircraft commander, yeah. um, he gets real aggressive. I mean, he comes down to 10, 20 feet right over where we think these guys are at and he's slowing us down. We're pretty juicy target at this point. And he's just like daring them to do something. And so you're, he's trying to draw fire so you can establish a position. It's really what, and no, that's, that's awesome. You guys, I've seen you guys do that. It's, it's fucking awesome. I just, I want people out there to know that's what you're trying to do, which is that's brave as shit, dude. That's, that, that's, that is amazing. And I'm, I'm ignorant and I don't know what he's, I'm like, okay, you know, he knows I'm just up here looking at the <laughs> tactical acquisition display and all that kind of stuff, trying to find stuff. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, we are moving pretty slow. I could hit us. <laughs> Like, you know, and just as we were, we kind of were sliding and we slid off of the, of the ledge to where we were over the canyon. So we went from like 20 feet to like 300 feet, right? As far as our altitude. And right then we just get rocked, like, boom, like, I mean, the whole thing, the innards, everything, you know, and the helicopter gets launched forward and we are falling and I'm down into that canyon and I can see the rock we're going to crash on. I could see it like. And it's so weird how your brain works. I'm like, okay, we're going to crash there. I'm already, you know, tightening down my, tightening down my thing. I'm like, and once we hit, I got to grab my radio and my gun. I got to, you know, it's all going through your head. I got to pull Doug out of the back seat. Well, the realistic is I'm going to be smashed in the front seat and nobody's getting me out. That's the realistic thing. But you're, you're, you're an optimist when you're about to die. So um, then all of a sudden we fly out of it. We Like he pulls out and we start flying and I'm like, it, what the heck no i know and what happened is rpg blew up underneath us it it caused real bad air the helicopter couldn't fly in that air it was turbulent vortices so we fell through that air doug being the champion he was saw that the engines and everything was still working continued to fly instead of freak out and die and flew flew us out of the thing right wow so so grateful he was there because i don't know what i would have done as a 300 hour guy i probably thought we were done i probably would have entered an auto rotation you know i don't i don't know what I don't know what I would have done, but then we roll back in and I actually start to, to see muzzle flashes. I actually start to be like, oh, that's what that is. It's just real quick, just a little, a little flicker. And I realize what I'm seeing more out of my peripheral vision than focused on even. And so I talked to the ground guys. I'm like, hey, verify there's nobody at this. Nope, we don't have any friendlies over there. So then Doug's like, shoot it. 
So I start shooting with the 30 in the middle and, and it's the first time I pull the trigger where when I squeeze the trigger, there's death on the other end. Right? Somebody's dead. Yeah, you're, you're killing people. I, I know it's hard. I know it, you can say that on this show if you can't say I get it, but that's you, what you're doing. I'll, you're, yeah. you're killing Yeah, it's, it's, just it's, it. it's, just, it's just a different feeling. It's a different feeling. And it, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't know if that impacted me right then. I don't think it did. At that moment, I was just shooting and I was shooting. It was impactful later, but not right then. And, 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 and muzzle flash. Once I started shooting muzzle flashes, they started coming everywhere. Like, they're like, it was like, they were like, oh no, you know where we're at. So they all started shooting, right? Boom, 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 boom. So we kept shooting and that kind of died down a little bit. And we're still looking around. They're still taking some pot shots over at the, at the convoy. So we're still flying around. And, and what's that, that saying where, you know, the definition of insanity is when you do the exact same thing. Yeah. 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 Albert Einstein. We yep. were in the exact same spot doing the exact same thing and we got rocked again, right? This time's pieces of, I didn't know if it was pieces of us or rock was hitting the canopy. We're falling. This time we flew, we, we went like, it, it, didn't, it wasn't just forward and down. It was like this angle bank down. But I had 10 minute old wisdom, right? So I rolled in and looked in. And I was like, all right, we got engines. Let's fly out of this thing, right? And so we, he, he did, he flew out. And then we're like, I'm like, Doug, that guy's on the other side of the valley. There's no way he's hitting us right there every time from this side. There's a dude on the other side, you know, and luckily the ground guys figured that same thing out. Like that was quiet enough. They kind of honed in on where they shot. They saw the RPG mustache, is what I call it, you know, in that little cloud. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. And they they pointed us in the direction and then we obliterated that spot. And, you know, and then, you know, we finished up and they they ended up free and getting freedom of maneuver again and and we left and broke station and when i got out of the helicopter that time that's when it hit when i put my feet on the ground and i was like holy crap this is real like those targets shoot back with the intent <laughs> to take us down right that's what they're doing right and i i don't know how many of those abadabas i sent to their place today right i don't know how many but it's a lot you know, and I think I say in the book, I was like, maybe, maybe by, 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 by answering with the freaking Thor-like punch that the guys that made it can go home and talk to their families about maybe we should just make love, right? <laughs> Instead of like, you know, maybe we should just do other things like raise goats. And maybe we should just, maybe we should stop this because it's such a one-sided battle at some time, at some point. I mean, even though it is a one-sided, they did almost take us out of the air twice. Yeah. They did. Yeah. We had technological advantage beyond, I mean, a huge technological advantage. They still almost took us out twice. So it was just this huge impactful moment of, okay, this is real. And, and now we got it. Now we got to move forward with that new understanding that take this shit serious because they do. They live oh, yeah. it and they've lived yeah. it for decades. I mean, centuries. And you know, like they, <laughs> this isn't, they don't get mid tours. This is what they do, right? They yeah. are com- they are committed to their cause, whether that cause makes sense or not. And they're willing to do anything to take us out for that cause. And they and they do have the experience. Like you said, you learn that experience in flight school where you had that now I learned something from well shit. They're shit, 10,000 years they've been learning from experience, and that's why they I, they're good they're good i always said that. i tell people yeah you like the taliban you're like no i don't like them but they're i respect the hell of them they're fucking good they're good at I what they, they 
that's what they do. They, their experience, they live that. That's their job. Yeah. So that's one of the, so I wrote the book because I did this and I had a lot of these other experiences. And at the end of the day, I feel like I was stronger for it. But I looked at a lot of guys that did the same, had the same experiences and it actually crippled them, right? Yeah, some yeah, that's true. Of them even, some of them even took their own lives. I mean, so, yeah. so I was like, why? Why is that? <laughs> and one of the principles that we dug down, we did seven principles of, of things that I was doing that probably helped me experience post-traumatic stress growth rather than damage. And, and one of them was exactly what you just said. I never hated the enemy. I never hated the enemy. Hate what they do, hate their cause. I didn't hate those men. Yeah. Those men were freaking bad ass. Yeah. I mean, they're running they're in sandals and freaking shower shoes. They used to put them down plastic shower shoes in the winter time. It's nuts. They're fighting in cro- literally in Crocs, open toe Crocs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're, and they're 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 hanging. I mean, the ratio of us killing them to, to uh, them killing us is is staggering. But but they're still there. They're still doing it. They're still. I mean, you've got to admire that tenacity. Hope you guys are enjoying this interview with Lieutenant Colonel Brian Slade, Army Apache pilot. Uh, you guys know we always talk about firearms on here. We talk about ammo, and I think we're the only podcast out there with a night vision sponsor, right? And and the best night vision sponsor, Photonist yeah. Defense, state of the art. Now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper binocular night vision system by Photonist Defense, which is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high quality night vision capabilities than anyone military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonist Defense Solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonist Defense Viper Binocular to help become masters of darkness. The new Viper Binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonist Defense Viper Monocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. You've been using this at this point for a couple of years, yeah. and uh, it's yeah. and it's not just because it's our friend Phil Otto. It's the best out there. Oh, it is by far. It just, just even comfortability. I don't people realize how uncomfortable night vision can be as well, and, and it's not the size. The weights are perfect, so you're not getting that rubber neck when you are wearing it for those that wear night vision you know what i'm talking about when it's too freaking heavy especially old school guys that wore those seven deltas back in the day that is something they looked at not just the not just how great and how accurate and acute the visibility is on the night vision when you're using it but just how the ease of wear and the ease of use that's extremely important so if you're if you're an avid night shooter you do coyote hunting hog hunting Pick it up if you can, you know, if you can afford it with, with that. Times are tough, but we get that. But especially if you have a, if you're running a SWAT team, an ERT team, a response team, you're in the military, you're, you're out of government, you're in a government agency and you're on that procurement, uh, procurement uh, a part of the, the government agency, get down with Photonist Defense, look at them and get it into the hands of your operators that are going out in the field because you want them to come home at night. You got to give them the best gear so they come home at night to their families. That's integrity and that's the right thing to do. And Photonist Defense makes the best night vision out there. So put that in your guys' hands so they always return home at night after every op they go on. Absolutely. Visit PhotonistDefense.com for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. PhotonistDefense.com. We got to get into the best ammo out there. And they've been with us since day one. 
Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, but you'll get the best deal through us when you just simply go to fsm.com and you enter the promo code BATTLELINE at checkout. That'll get you 15% off, whether it's ammo, whether it's merchandise, or any other great stuff on that site. So once again, fsm.com. Promo code BATTLELINE, Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE Podcast. And with that, let's get right back to the interview. I, I wanted to ask you about, too, I mean, earning, uh, being awarded, I should say, the, the Distinguished Flying Cross, that's got to be like the ultimate honor. Let's Let's get into that story and also like what it was like actually receiving that and having your name in history among with among legends. Uh, that was an interesting story because um, the engagement that that happened on, uh, it happened, and we were attached as a guard unit to the active duty 82nd, right, to the 82nd, and it happened very close to the end of our tour. So when it happened, they said, yeah, we're going to put you in for this, and I'll talk about the the, 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 the event in a minute, but we're going to put you in for this um, this Distinguished Flying Cross, and at the point in time, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't know what a distinguished flying cross was. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, just, I just didn't really care. I wasn't like, you know, we, and, and, I, and I, this is where I kind of did kind of let some of my guys down as a commander. We, I didn't put them in for decorations because we were out there just doing stuff, right? Yeah. And, and I just, it was just the furthest thing from all of our minds, to be honest. We weren't thinking about that. And, and, and I think that the active duty does a better job of this because they know that those things matter down the road, right? They know that those things matter in your package. They, as a guardsman, we're like, yeah, we're here in the war. Let's do it. You know, that's, that's, that's what we were thinking. And so uh, I didn't know that. So they said that, okay, cool. But then we went, we went home, reconstituted, and, and we were separated from the 82nd and it never happened. It just didn't, didn't show up. And then, um, my video of that event started getting used in like schoolhouses and stuff. It was like how to stay calm, how to how to do how to do this and how to do whatever. And in the I transitioned over to the Air Force, and in an Air Force setting, my video was being played, and the commander behind me, he's like, "Hey, uh, you were an Apache pilot. You, you know this guy." <laughs> He's and, I, and I was like, yeah, he's a jackass. <laughs> no, I was like, yeah, I know him. And he goes, who, who is he? I was like, listen to the voice. And he's like, is that you? And I'm like, yeah. he's like, yeah. And he goes, what would you get for that? And I was like, well, they did. They were going to put me in for, this is eight years later. This is eight years. Um, they were going to put me in for DFC, but, uh, you know, we got recon, you know, just didn't happen. He goes, oh, oh heck no, we're going to fix that right now. So the reason I tell this story is because this is leadership, right? So here's a leader who sees something that he doesn't have to deal with at all, has nothing to do with him. That's eight years ago. He goes, who was your, who was your brigade commander at the time? And I told him the name. He's like, I know that guy. I know his brother. 
like, what are the chances you know that guy, right? <laughs> and, and the commander in the Air Force, my commander in the Air Force was a former Army guy as well. So okay. there, there was a little continuity there. So he reaches out to that guy and he says, do you remember this situation? He's like, yes, I do remember that situation. He goes, you realize he didn't get anything for that. He's like, well, that's not right. And so they started working this thing. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a years, eight years, it has to go through a senator at that point because it's been so long. So they put it through the senator, Senator Orrin Hatch, who's passed away. Oh, yeah. um, but he he's in Utah. That's where I went to school, Utah State. And yep. well, I get a call from their office saying, we want to present you to the DFC. But since it's a politician, it's got to be a big deal, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, they gave me the choice of venues and it was like this, this. And one of the choices was a, a halftime show of the Utah Jazz game, right? And and my kid was three years old, loved sports already. So I was like, that's the one we'll do, right? That's cool. So we went to the halftime of the, three, the, the, of the, of the jazz game. And this is where it went like this, that I needed to do something with these experiences. Because I walked out, jazz had been winning this game. And then there had been cheering and there had been whatever. And then this is halftime. They call out, they start reading out the citation. And I kid you not, I couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear it because of the deafening crowd noise. That didn't cease. It just kept going. That's so cool. And it was, it gave me goosebumps, but it wasn't because of me, right? It wasn't because they don't know me. They don't know, they don't know anything about me. All they know is I represent somebody who raised their hand that says, I'll go do the stuff that most people won't, right? And they appreciate that. And I'm glad that our country, whether you're Democrat, Republican, all those things, for the most part, we support our troops at this point where there was a time where that wasn't the case, right? So I'm grateful for that. But what it hit me was these significant life events that I experienced have benefited me. Crazy as they may be, they've benefited me. But if they happened only to benefit me, it seems kind of like a waste. Because yeah. look at how many people will stand up and scream at the top of their lungs just in hearing one of these events, right? And so that's when I was like, okay, I need to do something. I need to do something with these events that can, can get out there and actually reach and help people. And, and that's when I decided I probably need to write a book or something. Like I think that. that's so cool to hear. And you know, it's, I have to tell you, so a few episodes ago, this is such a different reaction to that type of thing than Chris's friend, Chris Dykos, because we were speaking about how at every NHL game, they honor an active duty member and Chris Dykos, or not an active duty, a veteran or active duty. Um, and Chris Dykos is an army ranger, Chris knows, and he's definitely a little bit more to the left. But Chris's reaction, he was like, I think it's a little overkill. They really have to honor these veterans every game. And and I was joking. I was like, we, we're going to put your name in, Chris, for a cracking game. And like, he's like, no, 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 I would hide it in the seat. Like, I don't want that. And he and his thing was, he was like, I, I don't think it's real. He's like, I think it's kind of phony. Why do all these people stand up and applaud when so few serve? Like, do they really care about veterans or is it all lip service? And it was funny because that episode was me and my friend Will Chiarucci and we're both civilians and our reaction was like, I love going to an Islander game when they honor veterans. Like, I love standing up and applauding. I love seeing them get that custom jersey, uh, you know, and being honored by one of the uh, legendary members of the Islanders, because a lot of those guys are still on staff there. And like, you could tell people really enjoy it. So I think like, it's awesome to hear you have that positive experience. And then you inspired these people in the crowd, and they inspired you to write a book. I mean, that's, that's as much of a win-win as you can get, I think. That's a circular, you know, and, and 
And it really did. It, I, I didn't actually, at the time, I didn't know it was going to be a book. I just knew I needed to do something and I didn't know how to do it. And that, and with, you know, years later, that's, I was thinking about this and book was the first and, and book's my first step. That, that was just to get the word out, right? The book was really just step one. So cleared hot's the book triumph over trauma is, yeah. is, is the course that we're now teaching, but it, you know, it, it, it <laughs> we have experiences, right? So, so trauma, which we know we all experience, whether you're military, non-military, whatever people experience it. Right. In fact, in my book, I, I talk about, I talk about how killing people and, and almost getting shot was often less traumatic than the caustic relationship I was dealing with at the same time. Right. Yeah. So no, that's, I, that's something a lot of people can relate to, right? Like they didn't, they didn't have to go down range. And, and that, that, that was messed, I would say messed with my mind more than, than the other stuff, but a lot of it was in prep preparing. Right. Um, and one of the other, so like the, it, the, the event, the event that caused the DFC was, was we were getting rolled in on, on an enemy. Like just, we hadn't, we hadn't engaged them yet. And the ground control was like, developing situation acoustically figuring out where they were at allowing us to have a good you know cleared hot <laughs> cleared hot means you've met all the criteria necessary to to employ lethal force with the minimal collateral damage right so that's what we were trying to do and he cleared us hot on the next inbound so as i rolled in i was in the bank and all of a sudden my co-pod just starts screaming because he took a round through the leg shattered his femur Wrapped his, leg, wrapped his leg around the cyclic, which is the control between our legs, right? And I lost an engine at the same time, right? So as he's screaming, he's not the first priority because I get rotor RPM low, which is what keeps you in the air, right? So if the spinning thing's not spinning, we got bigger problems. So when I went to roll out, the cyclic is jammed to my perspective because I don't know his legs wrapped around it. And so I can't get us out of the bank. We're slicing through the air. I'm losing lift from my collective, which is the other control in my left hand. Counterintuitively, when you pull up, it goes up. Like when you pull up, you, you normally you would go up. When you push down, you would go down. If you're falling, intuitively you wanna pull up, but if you're losing rotor, you're actually gonna slow it down even more and you're gonna exacerbate your fall. You're gonna expedite your, <laughs> you're gonna expedite your scene to the crash, right? And so, you have to counterintuitively slam it down to increase the rotor. So increase your rate of descent as you're falling. And uh, so I had to do that. At the same time, I had to break out of the controls. The, the Apache has a backup control system, but you have to break the mechanical linkage to do it. So I had to slam that out. And, and so I remember thinking when I did it, because Boeing advertises that there's a one second easy on, one second that it doesn't take effect of what you just did. And I remembered at the time, I was like, I mean, when they told us that, I was like, why? Now I know why, because if I would have slammed it over and it taken immediate effect, we'd probably have snapped the helicopter. I wouldn't have had control authority to, to, to get it back to where we needed to. And we would have ended up landing upside down, which they're not designed to do, right? So <laughs> I slammed it and I remember thinking, please work as advertised. And I bring it back to the center and it did. Thank goodness, because we're here, spoiler alert. And as we, <laughs> as we roll out a little, you know, we kind of got, you know, got, I got the rotor back. We started to come out. Now we had to start working on the co-pilot who's late. I mean, obviously when I slammed that cycle over, he screamed again because I just unwrapped his leg. Out. Now, now I got to do first aid, fly the thing for 30 minutes back to Bastion. 
and roll it on in backup control system, which to my knowledge had never done been done before. I don't think it's been done since. So at the time I was like, is this wow. gonna work? You know, and it did, spoiler alert once again. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the event. But here's here's one, here's the lesson that I learned from that. And we talked about it early on. I didn't have time to think through all that stuff while it was happening. Like I, that, well, that, all that stuff happened in like two or three seconds. There was no time to go, okay, now that I've lost an engine, what do I need to do? There was no time to think, okay, he's, he's screaming, blood curling, whatever, and my, and my cyclist jammed to the right. Let's think about that. There's no time to do that kind of stuff. So what I learned in flight school was, was a, we called chair flying. Like you visualize what you're going to go through, what you call war gaming, what, what, chair fly, I think. What I started to do when I deployed and I realized I was a young aircraft commander and I started with Doug waking me up to the fact that things were going to happen that I wasn't going to be prepared for, that senior guys might be, I needed to work through a lot of those things in my head hypothetically so that I would be prepared and I didn't have to actually actually uh, um, experience it to get that wisdom because some of those are one-time experiences if you don't have the wisdom, right? You're done because you didn't. Yeah, do you're it. <laughs> what? I, I'm going to use that when when I you know I Ben probably tells you I talk I do some speeches and leadership a lot and my, my I always tell people in the Rangers we were always told you're going to always fall back to your highest level of training you will not reach you will not reach that standard you need to reach unless you get trained or you experience those high levels of training and you get so I always tell people don't expect you guys to to reach that level unless you actually train your people hard to reach that level. But I'm going to use that one-time experience. Yeah, it's a one-time experience. If you don't know what you're going to do, well, it's only going to happen one time because after that, you're not going to get a second chance. I like, yeah, sorry, I had to true. catch you. I, I like that. True. I, I, I like that a lot. You know, Ryan Slade. <laughs> you know, and you know what you're, when you say how these things happen in a second one second or two seconds you know what that reminds me of too is we speak about it pretty often on the podcast and i think we're actually i mean this is another topic but i think we're going to have one of those guys um who was one of the blackwater contractors who got in trouble for that incident in yeah, yeah, Square. Well, well, yeah, well, yeah we're working on having, having him on but oh. what you said just reminds me of the fact that sometimes with rules of engagement and all this stuff especially when politics gets involved and politicians who have never seen combat are like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Well, oftentimes you have a split second decision to make and you're just thinking about staying alive and how you're going to do what you need to do to bring your guys back alive. And um, yeah, I mean, if, I've said it on the podcast before, as Jack Murphy said it, but it just sticks with me where he says like these decisions aren't made from like the Starship Enterprise. And then what you just said reminds me of that. Yeah, a lot of times that's the case. It's a split second. And then sometimes, and I, and I talk about this in the book too, that sometimes it just don't make sense even when you have time. Like, yeah. even when you have time, the right thing to do is X, and they're telling you you're only allowed to do Y, right? And so at that point, it's a character call. And it's, are you going to, are you willing, are you willing to do it knowing you might have to stand tall? The, the consequences, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you know, um, if you can read the book, see what I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and people will, we're, we're going to plug it, man. Clear it hot. Yeah, definitely. With Michael Hirsch, pick it up, guys. Yes. Yeah. So, no, no. So what, what helped me get through those things was what this chair flying is. And this is where I, why I care about this, this, one, this principle is because it can be applied all in every aspect of your life, right? You can apply it everywhere because what I would do is I would get my mind right so that I could, I call it fertilizing your garden. I would meditate, 
with me, it's breathing exercise. That's all I do. Everybody can meditate in their own way. Some people do crazy stuff to meditate, but you got to be in an environment that you're controlling. That's a big piece. That's a big piece of this. You're controlling that environment. Then you start to visualize the event, whatever it is. And you, once you get to a choke point, a point where you're stuck, you take a minute to figure out well, how you would do that. And then you start over. And then you get you get to where you breeze right through that choke point. There is no choke point. And then you get to the next choke point. And you do that. And you do that until you get to the end. You bring it to its finality, to a logical conclusion. And then you throw in variables. What if this doesn't work like I want it to? What if this doesn't do that? And I get to the nth degree. Like, how am I going to? I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to talk calmly. I'm going to, you know, do this. I'm If sweat gets in my eye and it stings, I'm just going to do this. You know, like just little Little things that you're not, I'm not going to let other things distract me from what I'm doing right now because there are not, there's nothing more important. Work your way through that. And the role playing part of it, I always say it's meditation, visualization, role playing, got together, had a love child. That's my chair file, right? So <laughs> the role playing part is actually saying it out loud, physically moving your body where you would do, what you would say, how you would say it. And my kid gets on me all the time. He's like, buddy, you're talking to yourself again. <laughs> And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just chair flying something. I'm just chair flying something because we can chair flying in regular life all the time because we deal with things that are not always easy to deal with on a daily basis, whether it be a conversation with a loved one or our boss or or even just a, a hostile situation or what, or even like people have these weird fears all the time. And then like Henry David Thoreau said, I've experienced tons of traumatic events. Some of them are actually real, right? And so- a lot of times we deal with things in our heads. And this is why I say going to the safe place is, is important because you're not inducing anxiety. You're taking care of it. Right. So if you if you don't, if you don't meditate, do that first piece first, then you're just worrying and, and being anxious. We don't want that. We want you to be able to control it. If you get to that anxious place, go back to the meditation and then get a little bit further the next time. Sometimes people have a weird fear of like driving or something simple that the rest of us don't have a fear of. So you chair fly that situation. You walk yourself through. Maybe you go sit in the car and you get yourself meditated and you work through it. So it has application across the board for just all kinds of things. Like you said, Ben's always wargaming. He's probably, you know, he's chair flying. That stuff. Like he's working through it. So when it's, you get- it's, just the ground, it's the ground guy's version versus the pilot's version. It's, it's, it's just the name. It's just the words. But you, no, you're, it's exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Just going the through it in your head. It, beauty of is it, is it prepares you for situations but what i didn't know once i talked to the guys with three letters behind their names you know the smarter guys <laughs> than us the phd types those dudes were like what you were doing was called stress inoculation i'm like okay mm. <laughs> that's inoculation <laughs> look at the big brain on brad but like, <laughs> like what does that mean so like when you know you give yourself a weakened version of virus and then the virus comes and you beat your chest like King Kong because it doesn't fetch you. That's what you do. So you do that with stress too. I pictured people blowing up before I blew them up, right? Didn't look the same. I was close, but not exact, right? But it still inoculated myself. So when I experienced that, it wasn't, it didn't dig a deep groove in my brain. It just was something that I knew I was going to have to do. Right. That's cool, man. That's all. And, and I think everybody could use that in everyday life. And that's why this book is for civilians yeah. as well as as military personnel. You know, you know what I wanted to ask you about? We were speaking about this before we hit record. So you went on a Andy Stump's podcast, which he's been doing for a while, called Cleared Hot. You have a book called Cleared Hot. Uh, so, I mean, I assume he was okay with it if he had you on the show. But um, 
Yeah, what was the reaction that he because he probably wanted to put out a book called Cleared Hot first, if I had to guess. <laughs> I don't know. You snooze, you lose. Uh, basically, <laughs> he my publicist at the time, um, I saw that they're, they're like, oh, no, there's this guy has got a big SEO footprint for Cleared Hot. Oh, that's fine. You know, it's an, I don't have like carte blanche on the name. And it's like, yeah, he does a podcast. I was like, well, let's get on the podcast, <laughs> right? And so... So they what they reached out to him and and he said he looked at it he's like oh, yeah we're gonna have him the book's called cleared hot <laughs> and we probably both thought the same thing is like might as well see what our messages have in common and we can help each other out with this you know so uh, it was a great experience he does he does a two hour podcast you know I was like two hours I don't know if I'm gonna be able to talk that long <laughs> but it flies but it flies by I mean we've been talking speaking over an hour and it, it does we fly have? by you know it's funny that I don't. I, I don't think uh, Andy Stump, I, I met him once. I don't think he's like the biggest fan of mine. I, I think the reason why, so I met him at Shot Show was because, I mean, Chris knows this previously. I was working with Brandon Webb and they had a little, um, you know, issue with each other, I guess. I happened to be in the room while Brandon was like talking crap about him. So you probably heard it at one point. And I think the only thing I even offered to that podcast was he was like, yeah, this guy, Andy Stump. And this was years ago. So it was like, oh, I, I don't really know him. I've never heard of him. He's like, yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't to talk shit. It wasn't to be like, I've never heard of this guy. I was just like, I've literally never heard of him at this point. So I met him at SHOT Show, the last one that you were at, Chris. And I did a really quick interview with him. And he kind of, I, I don't know if you remember, because like, he, I always try to get things right. Obviously, I got your intro a little bit wrong. It happens sometimes. But I... I was like, I at least know the basic of Andy Stump's background. So I have my phone here. I'm just interviewing him on the floor. And I was like, yeah, I'm here with Andy Stump at, at SHOT Show, uh, Navy SEAL. How's everything going? And he's like, first of all, I'm not a Navy SEAL. And going through my head, I'm like, fuck, I always thought Andy Stump was a Navy SEAL. Like, what am I getting wrong here? And he was like, I'm a retired Navy SEAL. And there's a difference. It's like, all right, dude. But so I was like, I don't know if this guy is just breaking my balls or like doesn't like me, but that's my only experience with Andy Stump. I think uh, he's a very, you know, he's a sarcastic guy. Like, yeah, he was probably just having fun with it. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't I, know. I, I don't I don't know Andy and I don't care. I mean, <laughs> that's whatever. It's Navy SEAL. But it's just funny, right? Like, Chris, would you ever would you ever correct someone who called you an army no, ranger? Be like, no, no because, retired army ranger. <laughs> no, because that's that's being a dickhead. But that's all right. I mean, I, but I do say that on here. But anyway, but hey, hey, Brian, you know your story, brother, and and I love the way you, you, you're telling it all. And, and it is, and that's one thing. The civilian world, and I, I, they can learn from from the military is just how to persevere and how to overcome obstacles or and how to, and how we prep. And it's just the same. And it's to overcome anything in life. And that's what I love. And the book again, resonates with everybody. I, you don't have to be in the military to learn how to overcome daily obstacles that all of us go through and your toxic relationship, bro, I've been there and you are so right, man. Honestly, that was worse in my life and my head screwing up my head than it was going down range at any time. And that's something we all go through. I think every every person goes through some sort of toxic relationship in their life, whether it's with the person or or at your job or something. And I, I'm glad you I'm glad you said that, and I'm glad you have you relate that in the book because I think that that resonates with every person in the world, especially in the United States of America. We're just we always choose the wrong people at least once. Yeah, <laughs> like, what is it? Over fifty percent divorce rate, I think. You know, and and brother, you know, I don't know if you know you and you're in your in the aviation world, but I know in the infantry and special ops world, I've known a lot of guys that have taken their lives, not because of what was going on overseas, because they got in a toxic relationship and they couldn't control it here. 
and it pissed them off so much that they just finally gave up. Yeah. I know several actually, and I, and, and I'm not going to tell you their names. I'm not, I, nobody needs to know who they are. Just know that that goes on and, and that's not talked about a whole bunch. So I'm glad you mentioned it because that's, that's real, man. And, and it can, it can kill you just as much as you having the bad thoughts when you come back from overseas because you shot somebody in the head, you know? And so that's how, that's how I think how similar problems can be in the world where it, you just go down those rabbit holes and it doesn't have to be combat that makes you go down those rabbit holes. No, it's so, trauma, uh, trauma and pain is pain. Like, yeah. like we do this trauma comparison thing. And it, I think a lot of times it's easy to say, well, you guys went down and you, you, you went toe to toe with enemy. Then you guys had a, a different traumatic. Yeah, it's different, but it doesn't mean that chemically the same, anything yeah. different inside of us than, than when, than what we're talking about relationships. Like I always say, Trauma in the book, I say, I'm going to tell you a story about my Afghanistan, but here's the deal. We all have our own Afghanistan. Like you have your Afghanistan and, and, and this, and the reason I'm going to tell you a story about my Afghanistan is in hopes that you can take some lessons from my Afghanistan and apply them to your Afghanistan. So you grow from that experience. I always say the trauma is like a lightning bolt, right? A lightning bolt can kill you dead. Or if you redirect that son of a gun, you can light a city, right? So your trauma literally can be your superpower. I mean, we see it all the time, like people, oh, so-and-so grew up from this terrible situation, and then this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and despite all odds, they became this amazing person, and it's bullcrap. It's not despite all odds. It's because of those odds that they became that amazing person, right? It's it's understanding that that trauma, that trial, that obstacle are really just cleverly disguised opportunities to grow. Right. Yeah, it's, it's well said, Ben. And what you're saying about the uh, the comparison too, even among veterans, is I think I've spoken about this with Chris at some point, but we're hearing about more and more guys who have post-traumatic stress who have never actually physically been in combat, but they're in some control center somewhere operating drones. And I think to people who've been on the ground, they might be like, how are you getting post-traumatic stress? You've never even been there engaging with the enemy. But I would think it's got to fuck with your mind in some way that you are operating a drone that is going to kill someone, possibly kill their family members. We've seen that before, right? Who have nothing to do with this. And yes, yeah, although it might seem like a video game, it's not a video game. And like, I could understand why those guys are having the same issues both of you have, have had to suffer with. Yeah, I mean, it's how you file it. It's how you digest it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you can you can lend power to that thing that's going to drag you down, that millstone, yeah. or you can put it underneath your feet as a foundational piece of the best version of yourself. And you continually grow and you just grow and grow and grow with all that foundations. I, well said, brother. Um. Right, we're coming to come to the end here and we had you about an hour. We won't keep you the two hours. We won't do that. I don't, I'll be honest. I don't want to stay for two hours a day too. I just got home. I want, I want to go relax with my kids a little bit. That's, but final words, man, anything else you want to put out or, or, and we'll, we'll plug the book. I want people to read it. I definitely want people to read it because it's, it's not military. It's everybody. I mean, it's, it has good, good ideas and good ways to overcome obstacles and, and trauma. Like you said, but final words, buddy, and then, you know, hopefully have you on again and talk more war stories because we, we do. And I think war stories do help people, even the ones that aren't been in, haven't been in the military. Not that it even puts perspective. It's just, man, that's that's awesome. And even to hear that and, and, and not any comparisons, just I love listening to war stories when I drive. I love living the podcast so that I have war stories and just to be like, wow, that's that's incredible or that's awful. But it makes you feel. I guess yeah. it makes you feel so, but yeah, last words, but I'll, I'll stop running myself. What you got, man? Well, no, that, I mean, that's one of the principles that we outlined in the book too, is share your story because 
uh, a lot of times when we don't share that story, it, it, it just festers, right? It cre it creates a wound that is gangrenous and it's just going to get worse and worse. It's not the type of thing that just goes away. And so me sharing my stories actually helps me too, right? It's yeah. cathartic to me too. And and that uh, anybody out there listening that has their own little things that they got, I would encourage you to find a trusted agent and share that story. And as you as you share it with a trusted agent and become more comfortable with it, then it just becomes like, like I went to the bank yesterday and you can tell it. And it's not this big thing that's just bringing out all this stuff because you've, you've created a safe place of your own. Right. So that's one of the things uh, I've appreciated you guys having me on. I've appreciate guys like you that get messages out. You never know who it's going to touch. You don't know who, who this is going to resonate with. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll give you guys the stuff we have. I have a couple websites. I have a training that I do that I, my shirt that I pulled up the tra trauma to triumph. It takes guys. We do it for three days. And in three days, it turns guy. It helps guys understand how to file that stuff where it needs to be as stuff that you experienced in the past. It didn't break you. It made you, it, you just have to realize how to, to, to focus on that. And so that's, I'll, and that's in Vegas. It's and actually we do it in Southern Utah. It's at a resort called Homestead Ranch. But um, oh wow, yeah. yeah. No, I I played football at Dixie when they were the Rebels, man. In All State right. Georgia, yeah. My first wife was from Richfield, Utah, down there in South Sevier County. Where, yeah, that's that's beautiful down there. I I didn't know the resort. Where's the resort? Where exactly in relation to St. George is that resort that you guys? Northwest of St. George, up in the the cedar, in the mountains and the Cedar Pines. There, yeah. I played at snow for a little bit, and then over at uh, Utah. Yeah, State. You <laughs> Yeah. No way. Yeah. Is that they're still Cosmo E from Utah, man? Yeah. They're still yeah. I went there for a year. I went there for a year. Actually, I didn't play there. I was supposed to play there, and then I ended up almost cutting my arm off in a snowboarding accident. Wow. Yeah, you cover that so next fun. time. That is cool. You know, I, I know Chris said last words. I just have one quick question because I thought it was cool. I mean, you have the quote on the book from General Petraeus, a truly great book is what he called Cleared Hot. How'd, how'd that happen? I mean, that's like, that's the ultimate of getting a quote on your book, General Petraeus. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Craziest thing, like, you know, I did get, uh, he was the, he, you know, he was the AO the guy, right? When we were there, he was over the whole AO. That event that I told you guys about got some pretty good visibility, right? It went all the way up to him and we ended up getting a coin from him and stuff. And, and like, not even from him directly, he was somewhere else. Like I got it sent to me from him. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so I just looked him up on LinkedIn and said, Hey, sir, do you remember this event? And he's like, I do. And I was like, would you mind reading this book and giving me a blurb? He's like, send it to me. And he did. That's and like, cool. And that's a lesson on leadership too, man. I mean, the guy's got a lot of things going on and I'm not going to, I'm not even kidding. It was a pretty quick turnaround too. Um, and so I, I already had respect for him. I always thought he was a pretty good, pretty good general. And, and then when he did that to just, to, you know, with no hesitation, he, go, he did say, send it to me. If it's good, I will send you something. Right. <laughs> he, did, he did give the that's caveat, true. which I would too. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to endorse something that I, I can't get behind, but. Yeah, that's how it should be. Cool is in the book. I don't, I'm not like all like, I don't like criticize leadership, but I am also not like, yeah, I'm very clear on like how they, how sometimes we were handcuffed by leadership and how, how sometimes leadership reacted slowly and poorly to things like, and, you know, but I also take ownership for it too in the book. I'm like, look, you, you can sit and stew about them, those guys. Or you can deal with what you can deal with. You can affect what you can affect. 
right? And so I think, you know, I didn't know how he's going to take it, but he, he gave me a pretty good, good endorsement. That's awesome. And, and you're right. Yeah, you, you can stew about it, but then eventually you do something about it, but then it goes, we'll go back, like you said, full circle. You can maybe, you're going to maybe have to reap the consequences because you did the right thing, but you got to do something. I always tell people, make a decision. The worst thing you can do is not make a bad decision. The worst thing you can do is make no decision and just sit on it. But I'm always making decisions. And it's just, it's, it's just, it's perfect. I, I think your, your views on leadership are, are, are very, very accurate and they've been tested and, and it's, it's awesome. So people need to read your book. Definitely. Yeah. And then go flying with you. And yeah, do you still fly? Are you still, so you're still flying. I was until I just got my hip replaced. So <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those guys that gets a hip replaced way too early, but <laughs> You know, it's not the it's not the years, it's the mileage. And it is. And yeah, so I, I, I'm down right now because uh you gotta go, you've got to be down for four months after your hip replacement. Mine's on two sure. months. So. Mm. Well, well keep up the good work, keep keep training, keep doing your thing, bros. And thank you for coming and sharing your being very candid as well. I really appreciate that for the show. Thank yeah. you, Brian. Yeah, we, we we really appreciate it. And once again, guys, the book is cleared hot with Michael Hirsch. The subtitle is very long, but I'll give the subtitle Cleared Hot Lessons Learned About Life, Love, and Leadership While Flying the Apache Gunship in Afghanistan and Why I Believe a Prepared Mind Can Help Minimize PTSD. So pick it up, guys. And also uh, follow Brian on Instagram at brian.slade underscore at brian.slade underscore. And uh, yeah, clearedhot.info is where you can get the book, but you can also get it on Amazon, everywhere else clearedhot.info i don't do you have sign books at clearedhot.info i don't not right now. i did initially but that fulfillment thing ended up being a thing so i do do i do do <laughs> i do <laughs> i do uh, signings uh, that i go to speaking events and i do those kind of things it okay. right now and i don't know when this is going to air right now clearedhot.info has a glitch in it so uh, we're working on it i don't know well this up a week a week from tomorrow so, okay. yeah, we, yeah, we have it fixed by then, but it, it but Amazon, you, you get it anytime. So, and it's audible, it's unaudible too. Um, and you didn't read it though, did you read it? I did read it. Oh, you I did? Know. Awesome. Oh, how, how do you like do it? Because I've done plenty of audiobooks, Chris has done his own audiobook. I'll, I'll even say, as a voice actor, it's a pain in the ass. But what do you think? Oh man? my gosh, I have so much respect for people that do that now because <laughs> 16 tries. It's you hard. How man. many? How many, how many did, how many times? 16. How many tries it? 16? Oh, yeah, man, holy. I, I remember I spent two days doing both books. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just long. Dude, that's day. insane, by the way, because I've never done long it in day. two days. Not even close. It takes me weeks and oh, weeks. Uh, you know, I thought the, the guy I had. A chapter in two days. <laughs> uh, the, the guy had on me. I must, I'm, I, I get a deeper voice when I'm doing my audible. I don't sound like David Beckham, you know, sucking on helium, <laughs> my normal voice. So, uh. And, and the guy that had, that's where they did the cars voices is because I was in Nebraska with Larry, the cable guy did the voices for Mater. This guy's a pro. He's like, I got it. We're easy. And he would just, if I mess something up, reread it, I can edit it. And it was perfect. So I, I got, again, I got lucky brother. I got somebody that was extremely talented. And he's like, I worked with Larry, the cable guy to do Mater. You're not even hard to do at all. Dude. This is a piece nice. of cake. Okay. You, you but, know what's wild to think? I'm oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I feel like with all the AI stuff going on in the future, we're not even going to have to read the book. Like they're going to, especially you, Chris, think about it. They have two books of you with AI now. I think they can get you to read anything. Like they could just put the, they could just put the transcript into the computer 
using Chris Peranto's voice. I, I mean, there's podcasts now on YouTube of like Joe Rogan interviewing like someone who's dead because they're able to just do it with AI technology. So I think like voice actors, they might be they might be out of work soon because you'll just record enough stuff into AI and then the AI can reproduce it. Uh, well, yeah, luckily for me, I'm not voicing. Uh, Brian. <laughs> Brian, oh, buddy. Well, I, I'm going to pick up your Audible, brother, next time I do my trip, because I do listen to books a lot when I drive to keep me awake. Music puts me to sleep. So I'm going to get that right now. Pick it up and, and looking forward to it. And now that I know you, though, you mess up in there. There's some glitch. At least I know how to get a hold of you to give you shit, man. Yeah, but, oh, but it's all in fun. It's because I love you. There's a couple things I left in there on purpose that I messed up. <laughs> one, one time I said helicopter, I was like, the helicopter. And then I was like, did I just say heli helicopter? <laughs> I promise you I know how to say that. <laughs> That's cool. You got to keep it in there. Yeah, yeah, there's some things like that in there. Cool, bro. Well, thank you, man. And uh, God thank bless you. you, bro. Have a great week. Thanks for your service. And yeah, no, I, you know, I know Ben's talked really highly of you, so it's good to finally meet you because I, I felt like I knew you how much Ben you how much Ben's talked about you. So, uh, yeah, okay. thank you, man. And and anything, anytime you need anything, you just hit me up or hit Ian up, and we'll help you get the word out as best we can. Awesome, appreciate you guys. That's all for this episode of Battleline Podcast. But we're always posting new content on social media. Follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. That's an order. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes up every Tuesday. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit.